Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. It is Thursday, uh, time for us to do the Mensa Brothers, and so joining me from McAllen, Texas, uh, a man who's been uh, doing move uh, TV production all week, um, Tim Lynch. Tim, uh, how are you? It was just today, and I'm fine. Thank you very much. How uh, can you? Uh, what can you tell us you've learned this week about TV production? Well, you know, you when when you've got a, a real film crew out there with a producer, you end up having to do everything about twice, sometimes three times. It can be tedious, quite frankly. It's a lot of standing around in the hot sun down here on the border. But we uh, we got a. I don't know how long this interview is or will ultimately be, but Jesus, we were out there filming for three hours. I just would also do... check the chamber of any handgun that someone hands you just to be sure. Yeah, well, there's nothing. We weren't filming like that. It was uh, it was just an interview about the uh, conditions on the border from the perspective of a local resident, and that was yeah. uh, that was it. Were you? Yeah. And you were being interviewed. Yeah, uh-huh. I was the. You see, Michael Yan set this up, and I didn't know that's why he wanted me to come out there. I thought he just wanted me to drive him down there, and uh, and then so he goes, "No, I want. Uh, we want to hear your opinion." And I said, "Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you." And so it wasn't anything I haven't said here. Everybody's surprised that the migrant flow doesn't impact the locals in the Rio Grande Valley. They they're very good about getting them the hell out of here. Just that kind of basic information. Most people don't know. Got, got it, got yeah. it, got it. All right, well, Tim, welcome to the program. Joining us Thank from you. the greater Kansas City area is William Constantini. I, I always pronounce your name wrong. You do, every time. Constantini, yes? There you go. Boom. Yeah, I have to focus to say it. It's not hard. It is, for me. It, it is for me, and I'm going to tell you this. This is something I don't share with a lot of people, so I'm going to— kind of take you in the inner sanctum of my life. Once I get nervous about saying somebody's name, it stays with me. I die with it. I am, I'm always afraid of that name. Yeah. As uh, they don't see this on the radio, but since we can see each other on video, I see the fear. And I've always seen the fear in your eyes. I just thought it's <laughs> that you were about, afraid of about, everything. No, I was just afraid to say your name. Yeah. In my head, it's Constantini. Your head is wrong. That and that <laughs> never happens either. That never happens. Um, joining me is Jeff Kenny from Southern California. Jeffrey, how are you? You're mute. Jeff's on mute. You're muted. You muted your fucking dope. Jeff. Okay, how about now? <laughs> we've been waiting for Jeff for twenty minutes. I know. Okay. I know. I'm. It's, it, I'm struggling forward here. The uh, I put myself on mute when you guys were talking because you once said that it works better that way. Well, so, no, it's just a know. heavy mouth breathing is distracting for Will and myself. <laughs> well, I sorry, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm just doing. I'm teaching R two P two and you know struggling forward. Going right. back to Vegas tomorrow. I got to go early, so and I'm the guest speaker at. Um, the Macaque B Ball up in up in uh, Concord, California, on Friday. Macaque ah, B. Congratulations. What is Macaque B? That is the Marine Corps Advisor Company B. The first one is A, and they're over in uh, uh, Fort Story <clears throat> or somewhere thereabouts. 
So there are a bunch of reservists, um, about 35 or 40 or so, and uh, mostly staff and COs and field grades who got a lot of combat time and a lot of weird experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan who uh, come back and after the idea was to make them kind of like a cadre of uh, people we'd send forth to, uh, to do these missions in, uh, in uh, all over the CENTCOM area. But now it's starting to shift possibly to uh, the PACOM area. So anyway, they, I think both of them are getting ready. They, they survive like the way, hair and fingernails growing a dead guy after he dies. I don't know how much longer they're going to last. I hope forever. I hope longer, you know, but uh, they're a good bunch. And uh, so I'm going to go up there and uh, be their guest speaker. And then next week, um, I'm guest speaker at another ball in Vegas. So a lot of movies. Look at you. A Vegas ball. That's that's high cost. Because I'm cheap. I'm cheap and I'm and no one gives a shit what I say. So They don't have to pay per diem. Yeah, I'm popular with uh can you, give us, like uh, can you give us? Can uh, you give us? Do you do you use the same remarks at every ball, or do you try to? Uh, no, no, I tailor it totally. So, for instance, the Macaque B guys will be all be about visor stuff, and mostly reserve advisor guys, who I know about and so forth. And then uh, the next one uh, will be probably generic. Uh, I'll do like a generic thing of, that where I connect uh, William Dean Hawkins and. Uh, all the way to Lieutenant Bobo, and then from there up to uh, guys like uh, Sergeant Major um, Castle, and uh, and you know guys like that. Do you have any jokes? Do you have any humorous things that I mean? Do you, oh, have, do, you have an, do you have an icebreaker? Give us your icebreaker, your best icebreaker. I I usually just I don't even fucking. Lori goes, let me see your notes, and my notes are like the notes I pass on to Joe Rutledge for Mech Megatest. It's like it's like. Uh, Cambrai, nineteen seventeen. He goes, he goes, you motherfucker, because I really had no notes. I just do it out of my head, you know. And so, uh, consequently, I do the same thing for your speeches. I, I know generally what I'm talking about, and I'll write it down. I'll write little notes to myself. Well, gives us an but, example uh, of like a an icebreaker, humorous thing that you would say. Okay, this one for Macaque B. I was going to say, you know, um, oh, I had a pretty good one too. Oh my god, uh, it was. Uh, you forgot it. You might want to. You might want to get more into take, making, me, did, <laughs> making I, notes. I'm, this is one of those things. It's like being. I'm good at this, you know. Really. But uh, yeah, I'll say you know. Uh, the this one was going to be about being married and going to the ball. Let me. Hey, let me. And, I'll uh, give you. I'll give you one. Chesty Puller was a grand old man, and a grand old man was he. That's a crowd slayer. Well, yeah. If you sing that, you, right? No, now I, you just reminded me, Mac. I know what I was going to say. I was going to say, look, let me tell you about the first guest speaker I was ever at the ball. And it was Chesty. my own ball when I was a CEO of uh, RS Pittsburgh. I did three balls. And, um, the, the, you know, they, we always, the first two we had guest speakers, and they're usually they talk too long. It was boring. It was the only night I really drank with my guys because recruiting is a poisonous atmosphere. You know what I mean? You can't drink with the men and shit like that. So, but I would do it on the Marine Corps ball. And so the last one I said, the, the Marines are always like, they hate the guys. The guy talks too long and about shit they don't care about. And so I said, I'm going to be the speaker at the ball. And my remarks were one, two, three, four. I love the Marine Corps. <laughs> That was it. They all cheered, and we just got drunk, you know. There you go. Know your audience. No, hey, know your audience, right? Yeah, I knew my guys. And, they, and you will be victorious off. in a thousand speeches. 
But let me just tell you, that last year, I put a lot of fucking pressure on Timmy knows what I'm talking about. Put a lot of pressure on those guys, and they were starting to crack a little bit. So I just wanted to make it as much, you know, as fun as I could. Besides, you know, my resignation and suicide, which probably would have made a lot of them happy. You know, I had to, I just tried to make the ball as enjoyable as I could for them. So I didn't spend a lot of time running my suck. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Um, all right. Now, here's a little quick uh, little nautical quiz for you three uh, naval infantry officers. <clears throat> what do you think um, was the cause of the USS Connecticut hit striking a submount? Will? You you will go first. I order you to go first, um, because you're what a naval captain. How did it happen? What would what were give me radar situations? Give me your most likely. I should make the nightingale go first because I know he's going to. I'll come. go first. All right, I'll go first. Uh, I've read nothing about it. I would suggest that. Um, they had a system that wasn't working and they didn't know it wasn't working. They had a casualty. They had a casualty. That's what, that's your story and you're sticking to it. That would be my first guess. Okay. No one, All right. Timothy, sister, sir. Timothy, what's your I don't guess? Think Will so- says it's a casualty. What say ye? I say if the, if the sonar, if, if the subs going passive, Reaching back to my Tom Clancy expertise, I don't think he can see a, a submerged seamount that he doesn't have on his charts in front of him. I think it's easy for him to hit shit like that if they don't know it's there. If they're not pinging, they're not. They have nothing active. They're going completely passive. No cold. No, no active. No active forward sonar. They have right. a passive depth gauge, but that's only right. gauging depth. And so, if right. something rises in a precipitous manner. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. All right. Jeffrey. One in a million. Okay. Yeah. Jeffrey, what say you? That they had, it's kind of like a variation on the, the same thing. It's like uh, they had a, they had readings that were identical earlier, and there turned out to be nothing there. So consequently, they didn't regard this thing with what they should have, and it turned out to be something. They hit it. You know what I mean? It's like they, they had like false readings that they realized were false in, in prior incidents and turn out this one wasn't false. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a bunch of fish. It wasn't a, you know, a bunch of seaweed or some kelp and they actually hit something. And again, it's totally wow. I, just like Will said, that's I kind of a, that's kind of a, it's kind of a conspiracy theory. Don't we have squelch to, to like, don't we have radar squelch? Will you're, you went to Naval Academy. Don't we have radar squelch to uh, dial in the kelp and the fucking schools of fish to know the difference between that and a fucking mountain? No, we don't know shit about it though. So, no, I mean, we might, for all I know. I mean, they paid those guys who went to sub school a whole lot of money. All they right, so now this was this what I I said the Navy's lying because when they said yeah we ran into a sub. Subterranean Mountain. And then somebody emailed me and said this. Fitzgerald, McCain, Somerset, Fat Leonard, Fat Leonard 2, Bonhomme Richard. Why would you assume this malady that infects the Navy doesn't extend to the silent service? 
<laughs> yeah, that that was my point that they had a casualty and didn't know it. Well, that no, you that doesn't connote incom- no, incompetence. Not, you it, 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 sure it no, sure it does. You didn't say. Oh well, you left that off. Hey, well, footnotes are important in case you don't know. Yeah, but you see, this way I cast the widest net for my <laughs> potential in yeah. terms of the casualty. Yeah, that the I casualty didn't say the cause of it. I said they had casualty and they didn't know it. Wow! And you would think, in a when you take a big iron ship and put it underwater, <laughs> you might pay attention to all those things. That was the supposition. That's where the audience could read between the lines, but perhaps the host couldn't. They well, knew exactly. Now, what I was and talking. this is my blind spot. I don't believe the silent service suffered from that malady till somebody took me to task. And so now, reading into what you say, and reading far more than you in, intended to say, okay, but I'll, nonetheless, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. The casualty could have been human inflicted, yes? Absolutely. Oh, very broad category there. Well done. Well done. Now, I don't know the answer yet. I just wanted to get everybody out there and, and say, here's what he says. So submarines have passive sonar, but that only detects things that are making sound. Right. If you have something ahead of you that doesn't make any noise, like a seamount, you may not know it's there until you run into it. You may now, but here's the deal. In those situations where you can run into that kind of stuff, you tend to do what? Stay the fuck away from them, right? I mean, come on. We've been sailing the ocean blue for a while. We've been fucking around here for a few years. Anyway, I digress. You have a pedometer. Am I saying that right, Will? You went to Naval Academy. If it's coming out of your mouth, I doubt that you're saying it right. But proceed. All right. Constantini. Well, well, he's the Marine. He's not supposed to say nautical terms right. Fouled anchor, right? We're not. We're not sailors. We're yeah, not sailors. What he said. Yeah. yeah. You might have your fathometer on, right? Fathometer on, which is what you can use to measure the water depth below the ship. It has got a pretty narrow beam, so it's not detectable. But the problem is that it only detects the depth underneath the ship not forward of the ship. So as we see the pedometer increasing at a very, very rapid rate, what would you call that situation? In extremis. <laughs> you, would, you would call that fuck. That's a you big would, ship. You would call that fuck. That's a that big ship. That's I'd a big say... ship. It's not gonna it's not gonna stop on any kind of a dime. I remember there was some kind of bullshit in Hunt for Red October like this. And I remember reading they couldn't see in front of them and it was real dangerous and blah, blah, blah. I don't know that that's true now, but back when Tom Clancy was writing, it was true. That was the whole point of the damn chase, the submarine chase. They couldn't see each other. Here's an interesting point of it. Yeah, we've been sailing the ocean blue for many, many years. Many. Yeah, the earth is big. It's really big. And it it translates into all kinds of other things anyone that tells you they know everything about what the earth is doing has got their head up their ass the earth is big there's parts of it we don't know about mother nature has things out there that we just don't know yeah maybe they ran into one of them that's not what the climate change people were saying last week big big ocean unless jesus Jesus is talking to you which sometimes he knows he knows because he made it (laughs) 
or his dad yeah. did. That's kind of a Catholic thing. So for those of you non-believers, then you guys can all go to hell. The um, all right. Let me just so you, you could go to a submarine, or we must sound like monkeys wrestling with a football. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, for Christ's sakes, we don't even know we're we're going off. A and Tom yeah, Tanks and, and, it's, and it sounds really yeah. stupid till they're outnumbered in a bar fight at about three in the morning, <laughs> and we walk around the corner, right? And then what do they say? Am That's I different. fucking glad to see you, idiots? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you could have a seamount pop up in front of you before your pedometer has a chance to detect it, and you would run into it. It could be kind of like the El Capitan of the South China Sea, right? <laughs> it could it's happen, right? Down there, yeah. All right. Unbelievable. So it's kind of still a mystery yet. Right. We haven't really seen the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So I just wanted to get your, I mean, you've, you've all been to sea, clearly, um, and see what kind that's, of, what? That's not the first Navy ship to hit an uncharted seamount. That's happened before in World War II. And I think, no, I think it's it happened turned since out World War II, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not the only time. They're not the first guys to do that. They hit something that nobody expected to be there, like a top of a mountain. Of note, the captain of the ship has not been relieved. In keeping with new naval tradition, hey, mistakes happen, right? Big, uh, o- big ocean, small mountain. Fuck. I sometimes think you're referring to the industri- the old industrial way of of management, Mac. That's uh, antiquated now, don't you know? I think I do. It's unclear exactly what happened to the Connecticut as the command investigation has yet to be released. The investigation has been passed up to the 7th Fleet Commander, who will make any relevant accountability decisions. The sub is currently in Guam, undergoing initial repairs. So, uh, there you have it. I just wanted to kind of get to that as uh, and just avail myself of your nautical expertise, um, which we all know are vast. All right, um, first subject. Okay, we have. Uh, let me tell. Let me read everybody into what we're doing tonight. Uh, excuse me, what we're doing this morning. One, uh, we're going to talk about a uh, kind of little opinion piece that Commander Salamander wrote, and uh, it has to do with uh, with integrity. So we'll talk about that. After that, we're going to talk about U.S. Marine Corps manpower models going to change. So we got two former recruiters here, and so. I have to tell you, I've been sitting on pins and needles all afternoon waiting to hear their comments about this. And then we're going to talk about a, a Grant Newsham piece uh, entitled, well, it's about the Chinese Marine Corps. Get, Grant was talking about it yesterday, but we're going we're gonna to discuss that. And then everybody's going to get to select two things from Lee Ermey's gun collection that is going on sale here on auction online. So it's a, it's a big collection. Uh, and you can peruse through it uh, should you care to. So uh, first thing, um, let me pull it up. Commander Salamander. Headline, a culture of lying, a profession in a crisis of candor. Picture of a naval warship, uh, number 55. Anybody know who that is? Will, you went to the Naval Academy. No, it's a cruiser. I don't know which one it is now. How do you know it's a cruiser? 
55, it's a low number. Destroyers are in like the thousands. Got it. All right, all right, all right. Those of us in the professions of arms say and write a lot about our honor, integrity, and ethical standing. We are are we really in a position to claim such high ground? To their great credit, the Army has for over half decade put forth Wong and Guerra's 2015 U.S. Army College Strategic Study Institute monograph, Lying to Ourselves, Dishonesty in the Army Profession for Reading and Comment. Um, I will attach that. It's about 52 pages. Um, in the intro, the authors state, Many Army officers, after repeated exposure to the overwhelming demands and the associated need to put their honor on the line to verify compliance, have become ethically numb. As a result, an officer's signature and word have become tools to maneuver through the Army bureaucracy rather than being symbols of integrity and honestly, honesty. Sadly, much of the deception that occurs in the profession of arms is encouraged and sanctioned by the military institution as subordinates are forced to prioritize which requirements will actually be done to standard and which will only be done, which will only be reported as done to standard. As a result, untruthfulness is surprisingly common in the U.S. military, even though members of the profession are loath to admit it. Now, I hear this and I can hear William saying, get the sorts reports, right? over and over and over relative to the investigation into the sinking of the AAV um, uh, that belonged to the 15th Mew off the USS Somerset, right? Um, but the question he asked concerns the Bon, um, the bon Am Richard investigation. He asked this question, did the Bon Am Richard commanding officer give people Navy, Navy achievement medals for gun decking? Now, gun decking... Is it a nautical term? It is. Really? Could you give us a history of gun decking, Will? I couldn't give you a history, but I, I mean, it's something I know I learned as a plebe. Yeah. Tell everybody what it means. It, it basically means you're, you're lying to yourself. You're reporting something that's not true. You, you were supposed to do a certain amount of training, and instead of doing it, you just signed all the cards off that had been done. Um, it's a report that that is not accurate because you didn't want to go through the agony of 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 doing something that was going to be painful. So right. you just you just you gun decked it. You signed off on it. Got it. Tim, you're a former sailor. Do you agree with that? That's absolutely a, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Signing off various checklists when you haven't done it. All right, Jeffrey. Doing Jeffrey, checklists are a pain. Jeffrey, you're muted. Do you want to nod your head in a sense? Do you believe it's that? Oh, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's like gun decking. It's a tradition in military since the Roman Empire. Lying about shit. Uh, and, he, and 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 we're the same. We've been doing it forever. He then cites three findings of fact. I assume they're findings of fact in the Bon Armour Shard investigation, number 369, 370, and 371. All of them talk about maintenance of the firefighting system, and they outline <clears throat> different sailors from petty officers to master chiefs to 
lead petty officers saying, well, even if it was broken, I wouldn't report it. I would sign off that it was done correctly, and then I'd go tell somebody. I certainly would not <laughs> sign off that it wasn't done. They were, and they were awarded by giving Navy Achievement Medals. And then what did they find? 85% of the fire stations on the, on the Bon Armour Shard were non-functional. So his conclusion is, it looks like we did, right, <clears throat> give Navy Achievement Medals for gun decking. And then he says, I'm sorry, that is no more true. <laughs> so then he goes into, um, this isn't a BHR-specific or an Army-specific issue. We've seen other manifestations of this. Last month, in a rather bizarre exchange between CENTCOM's General McKenzie and Congressman Mike Gallagher, former Marine, McKenzie insists that all that happened at Kabul in August of 2021 was a non-combatant evacuation operation, not a retreat, though we were departing with our last military forces after two de decades of a conflict, not a negotiated surrender, though we left under the guns with the permission of the Taliban while in constant communication with them. I'm sorry, that is no more truthful than saying the Confederates were not defeated at Vicksburg. They simply conducted a neo from the, from, from the besieged city. And then he said, talked about, where does this start? Fit reps, evals, blah, 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 blah. Did we, tell the, did we tell the truth about the qualifications of the personnel on duty those horrible days in the summer of 2017 on the McCain and the Fitzgerald? Do we have a culture of honor and truth when we have to publish and teach from a half-decade-old publication that is about lying to ourselves? What is the system of incentives and disincentives that creates such a culture, if one exists, or is it to ask the question or to answer it? So, kind of very philosophical piece that Commander Salamander wrote. Um, thoughts. Will, do we have such a system? Are we watching the fruits of it? around the world in all these different unprecedented events and uh, and was when we did it was gun decking okay because we were more attentive to detail now has it reached such an epidemic proportion that it's causing people to die yeah i mean i mean two interesting things for me so it, when i went to navy after your first year there you you went out and spent six weeks to two months on a ship uh, serving in an enlisted capacity. And uh, I went out to DD 945, Isaac W. Hall, and I was with the A-Gang. So they, they were part of the engineering department and handled uh, maintenance on all kinds of little things all over the ship, pumps and just different stuff. And so what we did every day is, they had a big box of the, they called it PMCS cards, preventive maintenance checks. And services. Uh, and services cards. And so the cards were lined up so that if you went through the deck of cards in a specified amount of time, you conducted all the PMCS on the ship. And I never forget my first day, I was with a first class petty officer down there and we had to do maintenance on this thing. And I couldn't, this widget, I couldn't tell you what it was. And it was like behind some other box. And imagine, you know, working on an engine where you're working on the bottom of the engine, but you can only access it from the top. And uh, this thing was, and it had been painted. So we had to chip this paint off. And I'm, oh, God, it's, 
painful. And then there's a bunch of ball bearings, and it, it was unbelievable. And uh, so I'm with the first, he's the lead petty officer for this division. And I never forget, he said, I always do one of these to remind myself how painful it is. And then I always go out and inspect because I know these bastards aren't going to do it. And it was like, yeah. Uh, my second thought is my first battalion commander, a guy named Dave Bice, when we did the uh, Air Contingency Battalion, you'd have to have one company on 24 hours standby and one on 48, one on 72 or something like that. And once during the month you're on ACB, they throw an inspection at you where you had to line up all your vehicles and all your gear. And I'll never forget Lieutenant Colonel, later Major General Bice, crawling underneath a Jeep with my company commander, with a Motor T officer, and with the S-4, and measuring an oil leak. Because there's something in the Air Force instruction that if it leaks more than one drop every so much, you fail the inspection and the whole thing blows up. And uh, the point of all that was you give a lot of orders that suck. They're hard to do. And you figure out where people are going to gun deck them. And that's where you apply supervision. Um, because it's just a natural human tendency. You don't realize that when you're doing the PMCS on this widget that's behind some other widget that you don't even know how it connects to the ship, that... The ship, that's your lifeboat when you're out at sea. And I give this petty officer in the summer of 1982, and I got to tell you, the military wasn't very good, wasn't very professional, wasn't very educated, that this guy sort of knew it, and he taught me a lesson there. Um, and so uh, the idea that, I, that, that the CO of the ship or that within that ship, People see things that they know are wrong, but also know that they can't report them. I'll tell you, isn't it the same thing that happened in 3rd AA Battalion with those Amtraks? Right? So did it occur during my time in the Marine Corps? Absolutely. Did it occur in commands that I was in? Absolutely. But the good officer, the good staff NCO, the good chief petty officer, the good lead petty officer, knows that that stuff is damn hard to do. And so that's where you're inspecting things to let people know that this is important and the command is going to pay attention uh, to these kinds of things. And that's the culture that you got to have. Um, it would be great if everybody out there did everything they were told to the absolute T, but that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, so... Uh, the other things Salamander addresses in there, you know, fit reps and other things. You know, the modern day Marine Corps fit rep, you cannot say anything negative about someone. Right? You can't paint an honest picture. So we've created a system where you have to sort of bullshit it and get people to read between the lines in those promotion boards to try and figure out what you're really saying because you can't say something honest that's in there. So is it a problem? That's yeah, a big problem. We saw it as a strategic problem after 20 years in Afghanistan. So I learned very, um, you know, I, I 
you hear really, really smart things when you're young in the Marine Corps. And one of the smartest things I ever heard was expect what you inspect. And I, 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 I'm sure the first time I really heard that and, and it really resonated with me, I was standing there looking stupid because whatever I was responsible for looked like shit. And I got asked, did you inspect this? And I thought, well, I thought I did, right? And I mean, and those are hard leadership lessons that hopefully you only learn once in your life about, you know, hey, look, man, they will take shortcuts. Your job is to be standing there um, and and to know and th- so that they know that you're going to look. And once they know you're going to look, then they'll do the work. That's my experience. I, and, and I learned it, you know, very young, uh, over, over setting um, 25% or 50% alert in your platoon when you're in a defensive position at night. If you don't have somebody that's going around and checking on guys in holes and make sure they're awake, guess what? You have nobody alert in training. Everybody's asleep. You might have one, the odd guy who who who's, is awake. And so, you know, and, uh, and so that's what I would do. Staff Sergeant, you're going to take two hours. I'm going to take two hours. I mean, our, our senior squad leader would take two hours, and that's going to get us through the night. And I know it sucks. We'd all rather go to sleep, but we're asking them to be awake, and if we want to be 25% alert, right, then we got to do these things. And if if we'll supervise it, they'll do what they're supposed to do. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Timmy, thoughts on uh, on that little op-ed piece? Yeah, they they focused on the, the AFF stations, the aqueous firefighting foam, those, which are those big, big, huge hoses you see at the side of the hangar base. The very person responsible for signing them off as being inspected quarterly claimed that they were unable to put that they were not working because he wasn't qualified really to say they weren't working. So he would put that they were working, but tell the leading petty officer that they weren't. Somehow the quarter, quarter one, quarter two, quarter one and quarter two inspections where they fire that system up and whatnot were signed off as completed by the men who were then awarded Navy Achievement Medals for having bought these things up when, in fact, none of them know how to use the damn thing. That, that, that's a problem. The other problem is, is when we'll talk strategic, what do we say when at West Point, where cadets don't lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those that do, when you get a cheating scandal that has a rather unfortunate demographic, we decide that we can remediate this with extra instruction to keep their character pristine and they can graduate and what have you. Least we lose some valuable attribute that these possessors people possessed, right? Which which would be, I would assume, minority status. How can you sit there and as a, as a as a service chief start haranguing people when you can look at what West Point just did and say, hey man, you are pissing on my rat on my back and tell me it's raining. The kids, they, we got no clothes right now. So we've got a bad, we've got an issue. And that issue is fully on display with this uh, rather comprehensive slapdown of a recent award of two incompetents who, had they known how to use this stuff, might have saved an entire friggin' LHD, a beautiful ship. I mean, my God, what a, what a loss. No, it's horrible. It's a horrible news. Like the Navy can afford any more. 
Jeffrey, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah everything Tim and Will said are, are correct. Uh, truth is, in a lot of the most of the Navy, and unfortunately, large parts of the Marine Corps, to not get an end of tour award, to not get a Navy achievement at the end of a tour, is uh, is reason for, you know, what, sir, why didn't I get my end of tour award? In other words, you rate it just for for standing in that position for a while, and. Uh, I saw it over in Afghanistan where we had, uh, we had guys who did more than one brave thing in a, in a uh, seven-month tour, but they didn't want to give – no, he only rates one combat medal for the tour. <laughs> Are you shitting me? By that thing, Audie Murphy would have like ended up with a bronze star and then dead probably. You know. Well, you know, he already had a bronze <laughs> star. Just because he climbed on top of a burning tank and mowed down Germans and stuff, we weren't going to give him anything else because we had guys who did – we had certain guys who – always did you know always took charge and stuff i remember general Furness had a guy in his battalion one one the guy hit seven I, he was a company gunny he hit seven fucking ieds he kept going out finally dave had to like order him you're staying back man i, I don't want to lose you you know and uh but uh there's people like that and, and that's the flip side of the coin of giving undeserved awards is not giving deserved awards in other words, the whole thing becomes kind of like normalized. We want you guys to to do good jobs, but a really good job, you know, you get credit for it once, and then that's it. it it's destructive to the uh, the whole awards and and, um, and punishments, you know, rocks and shoals tradition that we go by. You punish good, punish bad behavior. You reward good behavior. The other part, of, the other factor in this is the uh, ubiquitous and you know more and more feared. Um, um, command climate reviews that go out for commanding officers and supervisory officers and stuff to where the guy's definitely afraid of his own people. They're going to say he's this or he's that, you know, and um, it doesn't take much. Most of the fucking release we've had in the last 10 years, almost none of them have been for stuff like what happened on the Bonhammer Charter, even combat incompetence. Now they come for like the off word that you said, or, you know, you, you, you chewed a guy out too badly or you, or you chewed a, you know, uh, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, you, you made some kind of foo pas, some re- offhanded remark. We lost good guys because of that. Many, many. And our side, side con, we lost that guy. We could have used that guy. Here's a guy who spoke Dari and Pashtun and everything. He's a he's a Pakistani American, tough guy, a smart guy. And we lost him because of horse shit. Because we're worried that. You know, because he was a little bit, he was very uh, directive. He's a hard guy. And they're saying, well, you know, he was abusive. you like, hey, we, it's not like we're, we're in command of a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, dilettantes from, from uh, Marymount. He's supposed to be jarred. He's supposed to be tough. And the whole point is to succeed in combat, not to just, you know, be good dudes to each other. You know what I mean? So there's a, that's just part of it too. There's a big kaleidoscope of, uh, Issues, I think, that affect type of thing that means you gun deck stuff. You don't want to embarrass anybody by writing a report that might affect them without warning them first so they can fix it beforehand. But then they don't fix it. And why don't they fix it? Because there's no comeuppance. There's no, uh, you know, punishment. We'll talk about the uh, headline. This is from USNI News. Marine Corps shifting focus from high turnover force to retaining experienced Marines. Um, Marine Corps manpower model changing. Um, and so Jeff and Tim have both been in the business of recruiting. 
Um, so I'm curious to what they're going to have to say about this. Now, this has much been discussed and 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 batted around in different forums over the course of the last few years since General Berger unveiled Force Design 2030. Um, and the speculation is we need a more mature force. Uh, the Marine Corps, in fact, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to Dale Alford talk, you know, young guys with guns, right? That force is not going to be the force of the future. The force of the future is going to be more mature. It's going to be more specialized. And so General Berger today released um, a document called Talent Management 2030. And uh, and so uh, we're going to talk about that. So um, Marine Corps manpower is going to change. And the model has been an industrial model uh, where we have high attrition uh, on an annual basis. And, uh, and, and you get assigned throughout um, your career. And then at some point you leave. What's changed now is early retirement. You can retire after 15 years in some way, shape, or form. So I want to, I want to get your thoughts on and what you've seen in this article. So, um, Tim, you want to go first? Uh, as a former recruiter, how does this change recruiting? Um, how do we um, – and, and really, to me, one of the things the Commandant spent the most time, at least outlined in the article, was this idea that we're going to bring in specialists – um, whether they be mechanics or other type of people, and I don't even know how broadly that would would be um, into the force at, at at ranks higher than private, so that they can support families and things like that. Uh, so, give me your thoughts on what you've the initial uh, blush that you've seen of uh, well, he. He is the, the commandant's got points about our personal management system and the way that we do business being outdated and our model obviously being for a core that is expected to expand dramatically during a declared times of war. Apparently, that's now behind us. We don't have big, huge armies of, uh, of, of uh, draftees and, and volunteers to serve during gigantic uh, combat or wars, which, which I guess are now gone. So what he's trying to do is is have an older, more mature force. His claim is because we recruit such a younger force and the younger people are more impetuous, they get in trouble more, they don't finish their enlistment. He mentions that they lose 20% before the end of their first term enlisted enlistment. Not when we were in the Marine Corps, they didn't. Oh, hell no. That would have been a goddamn disaster. So I don't know where that 20% comes from, but that's a crisis. And I and so he he makes a case for a nice older force, but there's nothing there. This is like the goddamn missiles that aren't 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 invented yet, or the boats that we don't have yet. We don't have a personnel system. He's talking about looking at figuring out how they're going to get artificial intelligence involved for a marketplace and a new Marine Corps way of doing business that's up to date and modern with older, more mature mid 20 something recruits because they're more physically fit than your 17 year olds as according to science and their brain elasticity has hardened so they've got good character no more kenny jj 17 year old baby face dudes in Tehran. no no we want we want commandos with mustaches and lots of qualifications how the f 
I don't I don't understand how you can do that because the Marine Corps recruiting system when we were recruiting was was up to date and modern for its time at that time. We were we had the best recruiting service because the Marine Corps command selected and put people in there and you went through Xerox Document University and you learned exactly how to get what we wanted, which was 17 and 18 year old Americans. So you've got to recalibrate that entire system, which is a multi-million dollar system tied into your your uh, the Marine Corps um, advertising agency. All that shit's got to be re recalibrated for a mid 20 year old somebody who invariably is going to be married, who invariably is going to have children, who, in, I mean, that's a very tough demographic to try to attract into the Marine Corps. And I don't care about how much whiz-bang things you're going to do because he wants an older force where the corpsman can be a machine gunner, can call in JTAC missions. Dude, that's schools. That's SEAL money to get that kind of training. you got to have SEAL funds to send fools to schools like that. I don't understand how he thinks he's going to accomplish it. And there's nothing concrete here except for buzzwords and concepts. And yes, the old system is archaic, but I don't see how you think you're going to have a more mature commando type system. Um, with, you've got to get there gradually. You just can't switch this overnight. And next year, I'm going to mission recruiting station Salt Lake City for a bunch of 25 and 26 year olds. Where the hell are they going to come from? That, that's going to be impossible to reach. It's hard enough to do what we do. And what we do is we're drawing in, we're targeting the individuals who are most likely to come in and put up with our shit for four years. That is not 24 and 25 year olds. That's a whole different animal. So unless they're talking about accepting prior enlisted back in, which they do anyway right now, that's not exactly hard to do, bring in a prior, unless he's talking about being more liberal there, I, I don't see how he does this without slowing down and trying to mature the young guys he's got now and slowly see if they can do this and keep those guys in there. Okay, hold on. So, so, so that would work by um, by bonusing, incentivizing the reenlistment. We're going to reenlist more, and we're going to slowly but surely going to intake fewer, and we're going to grow the force that way. We're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to modify that we're. We're going to modify the force that way. That's at least possible, but that's not that's what he's not talking what he said, about. Though. That's, yeah, and I and right. I and I and I'm going off on a tangent, so I'll, I'll turn it over to the other two. Right. But but I, let me have here, a question for you. It How, has me worried. Do you all remember the whole contract corporal thing? Yeah, I remember that very well. Do you remember how those too. most of those Marines were absolutely ostracized by the Marines themselves, unless they were exceptional? Um, but the I never see, I never saw one do well. Never yeah. saw one do well. Right, and they were never. socially punished. And so my question is: Are these are these people that come in uh, with higher rank, making more money, are they accepted in the culture? But they're they're not going to be in the culture. Oh, so they're exactly. just they're just specialists. These are going to be these are going to be super high end technicians, I think. Artists, you know, they reference cyber right right okay. cyber people are not in the culture right uh okay that okay yeah. that makes sense yeah all right if they're if they're but, not going to be part also, of the culture then but he also references the marine corps but that's band. not the, that's not defined that's not said and, and no, Jeff, I mean, that's just us trying to that's just us trying to make some kind of sense out of this thing that's all yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah but you, he references did you did will gun deck that on me 
No, I read that in here. Uh, Maybe it's in the document. It may not be in the article. But but in the document, he references the way that they get professional musicians into the Marine Corps band. But we don't recruit those. Those people come to us. You know what I mean? Those people come to us. They get screamed. the The band is not in the culture. No, of course you're not in the culture. I've, I've, I shipped some of those guys out. They weren't even pretending to be Marines. They're musicians. Yeah, yeah no, and they're, they're proud to be part of the Marine Corps band, but it's not even. They're not even pretending to be part of the culture. They don't. They don't do what we do. All right, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah the threat that necessitated this huge change was ill-defined. The way that we would engage the ill-defined enemy with our new force was ill-defined and is ill-defined. The, uh, the way the recruiting of more mature people is also ill-defined and unrealistic. And uh, to get, to listen to what I heard the commandant saying, it's like, we're going to jump right to there. He didn't say, everyone's trying to, I mean, General Alford, to his credit, did a pretty good job of uh, laying out the, the, the systematic way this might happen. That's not what you hear from the commandant. There's very little. Uh, I remember when General Gray, he basically, he didn't need to really turn the Marine Corps that much on a dime, but he really made the whole force, the whole 180,000 or whatever of us there were, into you know you are totally, you're totally dedicated towards combat effectiveness. I don't care what your MOS was. So basically, out of the 180,000 of us, he had about 140,000 salesmen who believed in that and would repeat it. Now, if you want to um, somehow push force this thing that's being that's being propagated, you know, with the guys that you know the the twenty four year olds we're going to get, you know, no one knows really what the hell he's talking about. No one really knows what he's talking about. You want to try and recruit 24, 25 year olds? Where do you think they've been? And and they're going to be more mature and better in shape. How? What part of American life makes a twenty four year old in better shape than an eighteen year old? In today's society, no, there isn't. What's going to happen is he's going to have more beer in his stomach. He's going to have more dope in his system. He's going to have more time doing nothing. No, the only way to do what he's saying is to develop that from within that seed core of the Marine Corps, those high school grads. I mean, I want to do, you know, we want to do what he says, but uh, this is not realistic. It's not realistic. And the other thing is we get 40,000 guys a year or so. We put them through boot camp. A lot of them don't make it. A lot of them find out the Marine Corps is not for them. The idea of not having any personal freedom, of not having any, uh, you know, uh, to them, you know, it's it's, uh, it's a daunting thing, and they don't make it. Um, I don't I, to think to believe that somewhere out there in the hinterlands of America, there's all these, you know, woodsy dudes who that I didn't know that I could, you know. To uh, you know, to explore my potential as a latter-day Daniel Boone who knows how to shoot, you know, uh, air-guided missiles was only a step away. I only have to go join the Marine Corps. No, we're gonna have to pay those guys a lot of money. And uh, you know, th- I received a brief about uh, these new ship-to-shore missiles that they got. And I'll tell you what, it's gonna take a while to teach people how to use them. So this thing is really going slow, in my opinion. It's going really slow. If you want to do it, you know, then we'll do it. But be more specific and start. We haven't even started yet. This thing's been kicking around for almost two years. Will? Yeah, I, 
uh, a couple of things on this. Um, I, I think the idea of recruiting people with specific knowledge and specialties and bringing them in uh, through a side door is very narrowly, uh, I think they're speaking very specifically about high-end capability, cyber, IT, AI, that kind of stuff. Um, and, I, and I think that there is probably merit in that. Uh, I think the idea of maturing the force, uh, I think there's merit in that. But I would go along with Jeff is that, that you set a goal that we're going to mature the force over 10 years. So instead of recruiting 40,000 a year, 10 years from now, we want to recruit 17,000 a year. And we're going to grow uh, the age, but then we got to figure out compensation. Um, because what we want is, as our squad leaders, we want second term sergeants as our squad leaders, maybe even third term sergeants as our squad leaders. But you can't compensate people so that they'll stay. So you would have to change the compensation model. They have much more uh, based on longevity as opposed to rank. And I think that that is completely acceptable. Um, now, I, I read the line in here about, I think the machine gunner, who's also a core medic, also has to be able to talk to the MQ-9 and bring in ordinance and understand the satellite connection. You know, as Tim said, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. Um, we can do that in special forces, but the idea that we're going to have a Marine Corps of 150,000, 170,000, you know, the Royal Marines are 8,000. They can do that because their initial contract, I think, is eight years. So, They've got time to bring in a young guy and mature him, inculcate him in the culture, mature him to get all those things you want, uh, you know, the brain function, all that, but also the skills. Um, so the, our, our manpower model is a disaster. Uh, face facts, particularly if we've got 20% attrition, that means we're recruiting the wrong people. But right, the commandant may also be facing the pressure that you've seen the studies what percentage of the high school population can even qualify for enlistment now so that's my thing in the article you, you want to talk about the document itself or not i don't care we talk about whatever you want yeah to. so so when i you know i read the document and yeah there's a lot of buzz in there um but i think there's the, the philosophy in a lot of this is absolutely correct. Um, the the execution is going to be challenging. Oh, let me, let me, can I, let me interject something because Jeff brought it up. And this is from Dale Alford's um, um, article that, that appeared in the Gazette entitled The Four Block Littoral Force, The Infantry Attack Forward Force Design 2030. Uh, let me just... I was just there, and now I moved so I could read the goddamn title. Um, when it comes to talent level, and 
maturity or seniority of the force. We must stop exploring and or studying and or delaying and finally do what senior infantry leaders have been advocating for decades. Future infantry unit leaders, starting at the fire team level, must be in their 20s rather than their teens. We must also ensure that the selection into the infantry is no longer a guarantee, but an earned trust into a close combat force based strictly and only upon objective, rigorous, historically informed, and future-focused performance standards. Additionally, after succeeding through the initial infantry entry gate, the same approach must apply when selecting those Marines that will serve in critical team leader, squad leader, platoon sergeant, platoon and company commander billets. Additionally, we must accept that the institution will have to recognize and pay these Marines accordingly through promotion and bonuses tied to billets and billet qualifications tied to biannual certification in order to verify proficiency. This will create the required cadre of Marines who can fight and win in the complexities of the future of the future as a four block littoral force. So yeah, that, and, and that there's there's the how do you square that circle? You go into the actual document and there's a section in there diversity, equity, inclusion and talent management and it's really interesting because <laughs> we've got to reinforce diversity. And I, I don't disagree with the thought process. The core benefit when it attracts and remains attractive to Marines from a range of backgrounds and thus diverse perspectives and talents. How do we measure diversity now? Do we measure the range of backgrounds, diverse perspectives and talents? No, we measure by outward benign characteristics, race, <clears throat> national well. origin. Well, hold on. Well, it would sound like you're questioning the integrity of that statement. And, you know, the other thing in there is promote equity. (laughs) There should be a level playing field. Equity is the new word for affirmative action. And the third thing is encouraging a culture of inclusion. We are the few and the proud known across the globe as an elite force with elite standards for leadership, intelligence and fitness. We do not have elite standards particularly for fitness. And so what Del Alford is saying is that we need a Royal Marine model. You know, we have this thing that every Marine is a rifleman. Every Marine's a rifleman. Well, Del Alford's Marine Corps, he wants the infantry to be an elite. And if we think, I, I I don't quite understand the employment of Force Design 2030, but I sense that it's going to require an elite ground combat force. Every Marine can't be a rifleman, and we shouldn't want every Marine to be a rifleman. We don't need that guy, the cyber guy, to be a rifleman. So we can bring him in. We don't expect the people that play at 8th and I parades in the Marine Corps band to be riflemen. We expect them to be. Hey, I'll tell you what, history plays, history plays cruel jokes on people who make remarks like you're making right now, Will. Well, I, I would say. I then would they say always if say, we, <laughs> if we the band core, guy's not going to do this until the band guy holds a bridge. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, but that doesn't make him. A, but Jeff, that doesn't make him a rifleman. And my rub with that statement always has been: every Marine has rifleman training, but a rifleman, right? Precisely. Who, who walks down a fucking alley when it's dark with no drone overhead? Who's using his highly, you know, hopefully honed skills? That's not anybody. That's a very specific guy. So I, I, I think what you're saying, I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't be trained, certainly, have, have rudimentary training. But a rifleman's something, something far different, and that's what Dale's talking about. And I think that's the, the commandant is speaking out both sides of his mouth. When he wants the machine gunner that can do all these things, you can't train the force to do all of that. Uh, but the talent management document um it's it's a reaction i think to two things uh one is this whatever the employment of force design 2030 is and two the current environment the human capital in the united states today right people are not in shape rampant drug use etc i do you recruit for there so the only way to do it is what jeff says bring people in and build them from within and age the force that way. I don't think the commandant thinking we're going to be recruiting people to come in and be rifle squad leaders. Right. He specifically says not combat arms. Right. So, so you, you, I, I would say though, that this things can be done. Marine Corps has changed dramatically over the course of 200 and something odd years. Um, but, uh, I will know the commandant is serious about this. When you start seeing the number one Colonel in the Marine Corps, instead of being the CEO of 15th Mew goes to manpower and stays there for five years. I thought that's where we're at now. (laughs) The number one brigadier general, the number one three-star general. When they all go there, when we don't have sergeant majors pick sergeant majors exclusively. I'll know he's serious when he goes in there and smashes the Marsh Center. But you see right. in the document, he talks about, well, it's not the monitor's fault. It's not the people. They've all been working within the system. Yeah, but they know as much as anyone how awful the system is. And it's never been reformed since then. Uh, And I'll also, look, we could collect tremendous information and determine where our diversity lies. But we see diversity by outward benign characteristics. Oh, you're black. You must be thinking this way. How racist a statement can that be? I mean, Will, do you think people really believe that in the Marine Corps or they're just pretending they do? What's that? I, I think they're pretending they do. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, I, I, I was thinking that, I mean, that's the boiler. Exactly. That's the boilerplate that has to be in there, right? And and we'll unfuck it as we go. And you know something, Mac? You're absolutely right. And that kind of like connects back to what we were saying about the gun decking thing. If you have, a, and Timmy kind of touched on it too. If you have it where people are used to bullshitting about stuff and saying things they don't think is right. It gets easy to say other things you don't think are right are right. And you know what I'm saying? When you say, I believe that this 108-pound girl is as capable as, being, as a machine gunner as anybody else, 
you know, then uh, I mean, when you say that and you, you you blink your eyes and people think, wow, what a good dude. You know, people who don't know anything about real action or real infantry stuff. Yeah. But then it's easy then it's easier to blink your eyes and say, yeah, you know, we did all those inspections or yeah, all those AADs are up to snuff, man. Good to go. You know yeah. I mean, we, you start lying the, about one thing. It's easy about lying about a lot of things. Yeah. If the commandant also will know he's serious when he dusts off that ground combat study that was done for women in the infantry that shows the top 10% of women are as good as the bottom 5% of men. Hey, this is, this is data. He talks about data. Yeah. George Smith data. Not he popular. talks about data in this, yep. in this, this, uh, talent management 2030. Well, you got data right there. That's Joe. So hey, that's Joe Dunford data. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's use that data. And let's say. George is the one who did this first match. Right, but the, right, right, but the ground combat integration study is what George did, but he, that was commissioned, right, by the Commandant of the right. Marine Corps at the time, and yeah, that was Dunford. J.F. Dunford, right? Yeah, and 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 again, it goes theory, back to right. the theory is perfect. Does he have the guts to implement it? We'll see. Well, I mean, he says in the last. What's perfect about it, though, Will? I mean, do you really believe that that's our future and these little groups of dudes on the torals and? No, 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 no. But I think the talent management thing is 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 spot on, though. Right. Yeah, yeah it needs change. It, with 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 particularly the things that you talked about, we right. can't recruit twenty-two and twenty-four year olds to do mainline marine combat type stuff right. we grow that we mature the force internally so that every company has got nine oh three eleven second term sergeant squad leaders and so right. that so that no unit goes into the readiness bathtub because we got to shit all the experienced guys out after a deployment we focus yeah. there we mature that force that is all doable and sound. And yeah. I remember when I was a 25-year-old staff sergeant, I'm the guy he's talking about they want to recruit. But I didn't become that 25-year-old staff sergeant exactly. without being a 17-year-old jerk-off and then an 18-year-old PFC. A liability, Jeffro. You know? It, yeah. I had to be developed and tortured before and I, I became. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that that is a laudable goal, and it's well within... Well, it's not completely within the commandant's Well, so, uh, but, but I, I mean, and, and I think we were talking about this Dale's before. Thing. You could see that, you could see a path to that, though, by increasing the amount of bonuses that you pay, right? Making it financially um, more lucrative to stay in this profession, not making people, the things that, you know, they talk, not pay, making people move as much, maternity leave and things like that. All these little benefits that make this a better job than it is today. So you could see retention going up in that pipeline. No, I can't. You can't? Uh, okay, well, well, hold, Dale, on. hold on. Dale's hold on. Who's, who's going to do the shit jobs that nobody wants to do, which is the reason why we lose so many NCOs, which is recruiting duty in the drill field? Yeah, there you, you can't, go. You can't yeah. leave people in recruiting duty or the drill field for any long period of time. Well, That's not a four-year doable job. The thing is, your recruiting force and your recruit training force will start to drive down. Right. 
Yeah, but somebody's got to do those jobs. In other words, no, no. But the, you're gonna, you're, yeah. you're, you're, right. your your requirement goes down, right? As your force matures. So right. can you thread the needle of shrinking that requirement down as you're maturing the rest of the force to the point that it doesn't blow up in your face? You know, I don't know. Yeah. You can yeah, engineer I, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I see this three, this flexibility in the ability to but stay in let, one Let me place. finish my point. So, so, so okay, at least you can see a path to that, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. At least I think I can. You can see a path to, to, to the bonuses, right, to, to, to retention, to not having to recruit as many into the combat arms. And then we, what do they call those people in Disneyland? Right, they're artisans, and I mean the people that worked on the F eighteen. They call them like art, art, artisans, right? They, they. I mean, they're not like engineers and mechanics and shit like that. They're these special uh, people, right? Yeah. But so yeah, we yeah, can yeah. see that artisans, piece, right? And then the last thing that is in this article says is a quote from the commandant. Quote: I don't think this is a six month or a one year effort. I think it's a three, four, five years. I think whatever changes we make right now, this month, this year, it's going to take years to get the force that we need. Um, I'm curious in terms of the way they're going to sequence this. I mean, wh what is sequence one, and where does the where does the funding come from? In my opinion, step one ought to be what retention, right? It, it we need to retain well, yeah. more so we can intake less. Right, so we can be a more mature force. Well, we use that old archaic and industrial thinking, Max, where you actually like have a plan. We're doing flexibility here, bro. We're on. We're yeah. we're we're launching. You just got to keep up or get out the way, bro. But, but we can always we well. I don't know how it is now, but typically we had more people than we had boat spaces. Right. So we can choose to retain more. Another thing he said in here, too, is retention doesn't have to necessarily be MOS specific, right? We, if we've got, uh, I mean, 0351s used to be a real bitch, right? You, you couldn't hardly, you could retain one guy in a battalion could re-enlist as an 0351, even if your best five corporals or sergeants. So we can choose to retain those guys and do something more useful with them. That's within the Commandant's purview. Now, that's going to be marginal initially, but that margin. I guess the big challenge is the manpower system itself. It's daunting. exactly. You, you you've got to, uh, and again, you've got to put your absolute best people in manpower. And in our collective time in the Marine Corps, like it or not, the best three-star general in the Marine Corps was not the guy in manpower. Right. Not anywhere near him. No, I mean, it's like, Jeff, when we were talking about doing the, uh, you know, training the partners. Right. We should have taken a command slating list and everyone that got slated for infantry battalions, mews and regiments should have been sent to the number one thing that the country was supposed to be doing, training partners. Uh, you're right. Then you're right. Know we're I mean, serious. You're absolutely right. When I was in uh, Al-Assad, Dale was coming out with 3-6 and he said, I should have your job. He goes, I, he goes, uh, you know, I, I, I've been working with these, uh, with these Iraqis now in Al-Qaim after he kicked their fucking ass, you know, first, 
And then he like he he was a natural for that. You know what I mean? And this and he's sensitive enough to see this thing he did with this. It's a way of uh, putting realism into how we get to where the commandant's saying, yeah. you know, um, the uh, the whole thing. Because we we you, you're not going to just have these 23, 24 year old guys jump out of Athena's forehead like fucking Achilles or whatever, or however it went. You know, it's going to be somebody who's developed and we got to be the ones developing them. You know, and, and, and again, the and again, that that manpower system, like you say, it is daunting, man. I mean, the the commandant has got within Title Ten, organized, trained, and equipped. Right. He has tremendous authorities within there. Is he willing to go and do it? You know, does is the commandant going to spend three hours a week with? the three GOs and the eight colonels and the three or four sergeant majors in manpower. Tell them every Monday morning, eight o'clock, you're up in my office. We are going to have our own OPT and crack this thing. Then I'll know he's serious. That's the kind of effort that this is going to, this is going to take to do it because he has a lot of authorities to be able to do it. Give me the top, uh, give me the top three priorities. Uh, Will, I mean, um, we, we've talked about retention. Retention. We've talked about staffing of manpower, uh, and then and when we talk about retention, I think the biggest thing is the funding to do all that. I mean, you're gonna if you want to influence behaviors, you're gonna have to pay for it, and that's where retention is gonna yeah. come from that money. So, what are the top three things in this in this solution? What are they? Give me broad uh, blue arrow. Um. I would say that designated a main effort and uh, apply your best uh, manpower talent to it. And so again, the number one, uh, you know, the best colonel in the Marine Corps shouldn't be the CEO of the basic school. Actually, he probably should. Um, <laughs> but but everyone should be able to look and see that the guy who is the head monitor, there's, you know, two monitors down there as colonels. You know what? The two guys that are there, the aviator and the ground guy, they're going to be generals because they are some of the all-time greatest Marine colonels we got. Start doing that stuff. Uh, that's the signal that I'll know. Okay, sure so, the four, so, so that's manpower. that's manpower staffing, right? Manpower staffing, uh, dial up your retention in order to dial down your recruiting and recruit training. That's funding. That's, and the funding for the retention, right? It, it probably is because if you age the force, uh, it's going to affect – as you age the force, but also to incentivize people, that takes money. Right. So uh, you're talking about bonuses and also the, I mean, the, the rifleman is not going to be a private or a PFC going to be right, a, you're gonna a, have a, more. a Lance corporal or a corporal, right? <laughs> well, you're going to have more of those. Right, 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 right. So that's the manpower bill is going to go up. So that yeah. is there a third one, um, Jeff, Tim, do you agree with those disagree? Well, the thing is, is if you're maturing your force, where are the billets? You want your sergeants, your squad leaders, according to this, second-term sergeants, they're under second enlistment, 
you're maturing your force. Does that mean that a a guy stays as a uh, um, automatic rifleman for four years as a yeah, corporal. And, and those are the those are the mechanics you got to get into. Yeah. really hard. That's not yeah. Work. yeah, and so yeah, because now you were now you're retarding right? progression, it, which which is a little bit demoralizing. It might work with a really high speed outfit that does a lot of right. UAV training and stuff. Right. But that's, that's the, there's a lot of detail here that that it's going to take a tremendous effort to un yeah. to unscrew because you know you're going to have unintended consequences. Philosophically, gotta, explain I, that. Explain I, that, that that problem you're talking about. That I I I come in, I become an automatic rifleman, and I'm going to stay in that capacity for four years. And I'm well, not, if and, if, and, if you're maturing the force and you're slowing down attrition, which means you're not bringing in many guys behind, then who the hell's the 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 assistant the automatic rifleman? Who's the rifleman? That's going to be an experienced guy now, a guy who's been doing it for four years. That's tough. I mean, it's possible. It's it's possible. We're like, we're like four guys trying to figure out a way to make socialism work. Yeah, that shit ain't gonna work, man. That's yeah, I just gonna work. see it. Yeah, they needed, we got till twenty thirty is is when this stuff's supposed to be done, right? The first thing to do is make a good, solid, capable force. I mean, what if the North Koreans roll across the border now? We're just gonna say, "Oh, we're not ready. We're do we're too busy trying to develop our guys into." No, we gotta go now with two one and three five and shit like that. They gotta be. We gotta. That's the thing about the Marine Corps. You gotta be ready to go now. You gotta be ready to go yesterday. And this is all pie in the sky stuff against a nebulous threat. I know, you know but we're do really but we're doing pie we're doing we're doing pie in the sky tonight. All right. Well, hey, you know, I mean, then shit, the sky's the limit. You know what the fuck, man? You, you can do say whatever you want, then. But you don't. Yeah. Oh, but we'll but you don't believe that you don't believe that guy's going to stay in for four years to be a rifleman and automatic rifleman for four years. No. He's not going to do that. No. And you and you, years, and you bro. can and you can offer him a lot of I'll money. Want, I mean, you can become a great fucking automatic rifleman in three months. This bullshit about we'll have guys that will be trained for five years. They'll be five times better. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because they, they won't because they won't stay. Yeah, because because right. you you had good Marines who could make it to squad leader within four years because right. they were hungry for the responsibility. They wanted it. They didn't want to sit there and spend a, a five years apprentice to the star squad leader. Those guys were hungry for the responsibility. Our ethos was we'll give you all the responsibility you can handle. 17 years old, 18 years old, if you can handle it, we're going to make you a fire team leader. And we did that pretty well. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. But I I don't see how you don't – I don't see how you can do this without taking it a lot more slowly and trying to figure out where the bugs are going to be because this progression is going to suck. Somebody's yeah. got to be the fresh blood coming in as the rifleman. And right. you can't I really like General. I really like General Alfred's thing he put out. To me, that was a realistic way of getting to this thing. You know, and um, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it was it, it made sense to a guy who, I mean, I, I was on recruiting duty. I drove, it was hard for those guys to get those folks and to say, well, we're just going to have recruit, you know, older guys. Oh, yeah, good luck with that, you know. Oh, not only that, but they're saying older guys, but now headquarters Marine Corps is going to assist them in taking all the information and using AI to synthesize it to 
find out what he's optimally yeah, suited for. Corps, yeah. The last thing a recruiter needs is anybody looking too steeply into his shit because we're fucking criminals when you're making mission. I made mission every month. I know. There's a little bit of stuff you got to do that's outside the, 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 you don't want the headquarters Marine Corps looking whoa, at your whoa, shit, whoa, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Never, I never. I say, though, too, I have, don't, I think of, such don't think of riflemen. Your dad already calls me fraud. We're, we're not <laughs> recruiting 26-year-old riflemen. Yeah. We're recruiting yeah. 26-year-old guys who got four certifications from Microsoft to go sit at the Marine Corps Information Operations Center. I would say within the infantry, wouldn't it be nice if every rifle company had nine Sergeant 0311 squad leaders? Shit. Oh, yeah. Shit. That's, that's what I mean when I say it's unrealistic, this stuff, Will. How re- it was hard to get what we were supposed to have. Well, that's yeah, what but we wasn't in Dale's thinking. article we're talking about staff sergeants as squad leaders and sergeants yeah. as fire team leaders? Yeah, but that's the Army thing, man. How are you going to do that? Again, though, again, even if we just had sergeants, it is impossible with the current model. Yeah. We should change the current model. We, so really we the want... big issue is the, is the personnel model. Once that gets fixed, then it can be, then the commander's needs can be satisfied. Right. It can't be fixed. It's got to be changed. That's what I mean. Changed. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's yeah, like when a guy has a sucking chest wound, you change the hole in his chest from a sucking chest wound into one that's sealed. You know, that's what I mean when I say, you know, <laughs> solved. And that's and that's whatever the you, you know? <laughs> where the philosophy of this makes sense. The engineering of it, right? Yeah, I've talked. I've I've, I've talked to three people who have brought this up to me, and all of them are scratching their heads saying, look, I haven't talked to anybody that knows how this is going to work and how this is going to lay down. Mm. I've heard a lot and of that's people. that's why you send the best Marines that you have to be in charge of it. You're so smart. We keep sending Whoa. good enoughs to manpower. Be careful well, right now. Be because careful. The, the one saving grace is because we're lousy at evaluating guys. We, a lot of times good guys go and we're sending good enoughs. All right, let me uh, – we'll we'll come back to this in future weeks, okay? I'm sure. I, right. I want to talk about the Chinese Marine Corps, and then I want to talk about um, – yeah, this might be a four-hour Mensa brother thing. I hope you guys are all right with that. Oh, thing. man. <laughs> the, the Chinese Marine Corps. I have this comment to, to make about the, the article. I don't know why the hell the Chinese don't load a mu up and sail that shit around to show the flag and to have a presence, right? And to break the American monopoly in that business. You don't have to be going to go do amphibious operations. You could just come and go on Libo. Show the flag, be off the coast, render humanitarian assistance, just get in the game. I don't know why the Chinese aren't more about that. Grant says that, you know, when will Beijing deploy their own muse. It can do it within a matter of weeks if they feel like it. But as with many things, Beijing will act when they think the time is right. That's hard to predict, but tends to correlate with the Chinese perceptions that anyone who might resist is weak, confused, or distracted, especially in Washington. 
I, I don't know why they don't do it right now if they have the capability. Because uh, to me, the, the power projection piece and, and the symbolism of it is a huge part of this. They yeah. have nothing to sell. Yeah. They What's have that? nothing to sell. What are they going to sell? Weaker concentration camps? Yeah, I mean, no, we, we they're, they're there. selling their presence. They're selling that we're we're the we're a global play, player on par with the United States. We we can help you financially, even though I would never do business with them. Right? That's what they're. That's what they want to sell. And I would. My point is, if they can do that, sooner is better. Why not get? It, why afraid, not get in that game? Afraid of their guys. They're afraid of guys going UA. Guys in the Philippines go UA. The last place you want to do is go back to China. No, well, maybe. I I mean the Chinese they don't they sell like the mafia sells. Extortion. Yeah. yeah, they they don't. People don't take Chinese money because it's a better path forward. It's they just don't have any other options, and so the idea that they're gonna you know, gain some credibility because they float people out on a ship and bring into port uh, only as a show of force. Would that mean anything to people? Um, so you don't see them getting in that business? Well, I mean, they could. I just, I don't, I, I don't think they would look at it. Maybe they look at it the same way we do. I don't think it would accomplish the same thing that we attempt to accomplish when we go out there. I agree. I agree. You know, I agree with that. I don't. I. I right. think the symbolism for that for them is completely different. Remember, we were reading the Horn Fisher and Toll books, and they talked about the Japanese going out uh, prior to World War II. They were always very respectful. You know, what I mean, like in the twenties and stuff, they're respectful. They're correct. They were trying to make an impression. I just don't see the Chinese having the same philosophy as the Japanese at that point. You know. Agree. So you guys are both skeptics of the PLA Mu. I'd say that's an accurate uh, assessment. Of my, yeah, yeah. Uh, Timmy's on a cell phone right now, so he's not going to participate. Um, there's one eight hundred churchsluts dot com. Timothy, would you? Are you? Are you a skeptic like your peers relative to Chinese amphibious? Desire? Well, I, I, I had to real take a real quick take a, a call from my mom just now, and I didn't hear what they said, but I'm going to guess what they're going to say is that the Chinese doesn't have they don't have enough capability now to make any kind of a Im, imprint or, or impression on me, and they're going to have a long ways to go before they can start successfully deploying Muse for six months at a time, or um, with just uh, doing ship unreps and stuff like that. That's I'm, not, I'm not that's that not even close to what they said. They said that they're gangsters. They don't have the desire. They don't look at it like us. They won't do it. Oh, well, I tell you what, they, regardless of that, I don't think they have the capability to do it anytime soon. So I'm not, I'm, I thought they were more capable before I read Grant's article. And, and when I read his article, I'm like, oh, that, that makes me feel better. You know, just a few thousand. Where the hell are they going to get NCOs and staff NCOs from? Out of a out of a uh, a peasant army that's uh, that serves a three year mandatory Hong Kong. time. 
Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be more like Joe Berger would. Yeah, because, more mature people. They, yes, they're going to need some mature. That's exactly what they're going to have to do. Maybe Chinese will start uh, modeling their no, personal it, system it would, I mean, after a new one. It would have to be the most mature force, right? For them not to desert, right, Jeffrey? They would yeah. have to be happy. Probably, probably Chan. Yeah, All happy. The old guys in their 30s, man. Yeah, and paid well. Yeah. Fa- have with families back there. Got to send them to fancy schools so they can right. wear all kinds of scare badges. It'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Put all their they families. Got, they got a long way to go. All right. The hell do they know? Next to that uh, lab. All right. <laughs> so let's talk about um, let's talk about the Brits crowing about kicking Marine Corps ass out in the desert. Um, Jeffrey, what do you make of that? Well, let me just tell you. Uh, first of all, I have experience with this exact same exercise. And uh, Will's guy, Phil, was the CEO of the people who were in command of Brits and special forces guys and other motley used folks we used against the ITX, you know, exercise uh, subject, which at that point was Force Marines. And the same shit happened. This is what this is like last year where they uh, they they. They nuked them twice with, uh, you know, with uh, with high Mars and stuff like that because they're able to do cyber attacks on them that were successful phishing attacks and cyber. They just outclassed them that way, and that's pretty much I think what happened here. It's not like you know there was like a, you know, there's pugil sticks and the Royal Marines kicked ass all these Marines. You know, it's like although I have to tell you, I know that when when we were in the in the blank. Blank fire battlefield wars of TSE in 1989 and then 19, early 19, in 1995 and 96, um, I would break a British Royal Marine's face with my e-tool rather than ever say, I surrender. Because that's what we did. That's how we went, though. Remember, Will, in Corsica against the French Foreign Legion? Matter of fact, against everybody we went up against, Lima Company 3-8, we were going to not only win, we were going to make you physically bleed. <laughs> we were into it. And uh, although the only way you really win in the blank fire battlefield is to catch the guy in the back, which is, uh, you know, an exercise in discipline and restraint and so forth. But, uh, yeah, so I think this thing is mainly that, you know. Well, the, so uh, let me ask you this. I, I let me ask you this. We, we know that. Lang, and and they, uh, they did a good job of using all their stuff. Like we had. Hey, okay, let me, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, let me ask you a question. All right. Okay. We know that we've thumped the shit out of them in years past. Right. Who puts this shit in a story to, to, to embarrass somebody else over some fucking bullshit exercise that happened? Some I mean, limey whose wife ran off of the Marine. That's true. Exactly. Exactly. Truer words were brilliant. You Damn right. One would think and those that. Those limey wives. And those limey wives can be had. I can tell you that. They love cool. and they love Marines. Okay, <laughs> yeah. everybody loves Marines. Well, done, not everybody. The um no, but that's look, we've thumped the shit out of those guys, right? On a, mm-hmm. year, year after year after year, right? And you know, but you know what? You don't put you don't put that shit out like oh hey, shit. thump your chest. Hey, we we thumped them in a training exercise, right? Oh, okay. I just thought that um, it, it's in extremely poor form to put it in the international media like you're dumping salt on some kind of wound. Right. I, I thought it was just, I, I thought it was Jewish. Well, I remember telling you guys, 
what the big key that one of these guys, one of these cyber guys who worked for Special Force MagTaf did put out an email that, that went to these guys nipper side and said, Marine um, Monument, Marine Monument destroyed by BLM activists in uh, in Arlington Cemetery. All of them hit on it, and everyone who did, they got their their Cipernet protocols, and then that allowed them to find out where they were, and then they got smoked by uh, by High Mars and shit. You know, look at that, not doing what they're supposed to do. It wasn't like it was like a like the Brits. You know, they finally won one after Bunker Hill. You know, it wasn't like that. You know. No, I just thought it was. Will Tim any thoughts on it? I you, you and this story is all over the place, right? And uh, well, it it looked like the the exercise culminated with a ground assault, and I don't see how, particularly if the Marines are losing, that doesn't become a melee. I mean, yeah. that's not supposed to happen. You this can't come near me if you beat me in some cyber tech bullshit, and then you're gonna like launch infantry on a line and come close with me. No, we're fighting, bro. We're getting out the entrenching tools. There's going to be blood. And there was no blood. So what the hell's going on with that? There should have been report about casualties and hospitalizations. We don't, yeah. we don't good no losers lose, bro. We're not good losers. No e-tools flying. Oh, no, no, no. You can't be letting them get within hand reach of you and letting them go. No spare sure, barrels. Right? Spare barrels for the 240s being used to close. Oh, yeah. There's a thousand ways to do that. Yeah, I mean... So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, when you talk about an exercise, et cetera, it is sort of ridiculous. I, I will say, I I like the Royal Marines. I like the yeah. guys that I met uh, in Sardinia. They were just a yes. good group. And That's and absolutely I, true. Yeah. I had the opportunity... Uh, when I was a weapons train battalion, I went over there to Limston, which is where they do their recruit training. And, uh, you know, something, here's where I'll know the Commandant's serious. You know, the Royal Marines don't have to put out policies about uh, respect and dignity and inclusion because they have standards and they're really high and they're hard. And every Royal Marine knows that every other Royal Marine passes standards. There's no gun decking and that thing. The other interesting thing is, so the Royal Marines was about 6,500 people at that time. At Limston, they had what they called Whiskey Company, which was over 400 Royal Marines. Those are the sick, lame, and crazies, as well as the people that just couldn't meet the standard. If you couldn't run the obstacle course in time, you went to Whiskey Company. And there was no stigma in Whiskey Company. They were rehabilitating people who had gotten hurt. They were retraining people so that they could meet a standard. Uh, and if we could develop that sort of philosophy where we had high standards that everyone recognized. Well, that there isn't, was no, isn't that what uh, Dale was talking about? Uh, biannual yeah, recertification exactly. of, of yeah. the, yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. And, that's good. And they, they, the Royal Marines said they only had three things that you had to do, but they were three really hard things, but every Royal Marine knew that every other Royal Marine had done them. And that's where yep. you start with a culture of respect right there. So that's all can, true. That's absolutely different. You know, and then you hear yeah. the and then you hear the E word equity, which means certainty of outcome. Yeah. Right? It is yep. not mm -hmm. it's not equal opportunity. It is equal outcome. And that is what you hear that word in these documents and you're just like equity means socialism, man. 
equity means the standard isn't the standard anymore because we're going to legislate the outcome because that 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 would however you define that as 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 equity that's that's the outcome and it's if you're not talking about operational excellence then you know i I gotta say this about what will said i was in sardinia with him when we were working with those royal marines and he's right but remember they had those big fucking beers will that they gave us oh yeah uh the uh so one of my guys corporal boyce who i know will remembers corporal boyce got into a kerfluffle as we'll say with a Royal, big Royal Marine, and he kicked his fucking ass with like four punches. And I thought, oh my God, now I'm going to have a problem with these Royal Marine guys. You know, they're going to, but, the, but their lieutenant just said, hey, it's the way it goes. So. Oh, know, no, I got it. It was good to go. They were good. You know? No, here's, here's, remember here's Bo- the Royal Marines. You remember Marines. Boyce, uh, Will. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, I had a sergeant who had been over at, uh, um, in, in Norfolk at that, the sec- Marine Security Forces. Who did an exchange with the Royal Marines, a fire team for a fire team. So, so their Marines come, they get a tour, they go to take to a baseball game, they go to they go to, to theme parks. They, they don't they get like treated like royalty. The Marines land there to take them up to the beacons there, and they go, all right, mates, the game's rabbit and hound, and you're the rabbit. So half hour, take off that way, off you go. And they spent the fourth the whole week getting run down by a by yeah. a. a Marines in training. They said it was brutal. They came back. They were like lost weight and shit. And it was, uh, that's equity for you. Life ain't fair. Yeah. And, and the Royal Marines are good at reminding you about that shit too. Remember I love General it. Jones, General Little Jones. You should hear his story about when he first, he was a Royal Marine guy, you know, over there with them. Yeah. And they fucked with him big time too. Oh, they're not, fu- yeah. they're not pleasant. They're, they're, yeah. they're, a, they're a hard crew. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, did you guys have a chance to look at Lee Ermey's gun collection? Oh, yes. Um, all right. We'll go around the first time. We'll have a draft. Timothy can go first. Oh, okay. The the uh, Wesley and Richards 300 H&H 450 Nitro Express broken down big game rifle. I like it. Why? A dangerous game rifle. Because it's it's – I don't think they make this uh, kind of a – two-stage trigger in a rifle anymore, this old Wesley and Richards. Right. That thing's got to be from the 1800s. And that's a 450 Nitro Express. They didn't make many of those either. So it's valuable, but it's broken down. And and those goddamn things are re, re, are re, have, an, have a reputation as being unbelievably accurate. But what a, what a piece of history. And a 450 Nitro Express, holy shit, that's got to hurt. Killing elephants, man. Oh yeah, that's a hell of that's a hell of a rifle. But that's just a piece of art. The way that that thing is uh, the the way that thing is set up. It, I I just would love to have one. Got it, William. Your first choice. Uh, there was a. I want to. I'm dialing up to get the precise nomenclature that he put on here. Here it is. Springfield Armory 1903 A1 Sporter rifle. Yeah, that's a nice one. Now I'm looking at it. Um, I I just I like those O3 Springfields. Um, I'm trying to find the uh, description here. If it's got more on Is it the sniper variant? Because that's what they use. It says 1903 A1 Sporter rifle. 
The thing is, I don't know if this is an original. Uh oh. So, I... oh, it's a 1937 reproduction. So, yeah. well, shit, man. I st- That's I what they like it. Yeah, take the take the M1. You know, thirty out six. Uh, great rifle. Just a great, great yeah, a great you know, rifle of the old corps. Jeffrey, your yeah. your first choice. His Python, man, his Colt Python. I, I, I'm gonna get one of them one way or another. Um, when I, when I settle down in Vegas, whenever that'll be. But I'm gonna get a Colt Python. I want and I like. You know, his is a little worn, but still, a Colt Python's a Colt Python. The other one, well, we're gonna, you're gonna go around again, right? So, but yeah, no, his I, Python. I want one. his Colt Army Special 38 revolver. That. Oh, That's I was. That was my number two. That, Everybody shut the fuck up. The um, ah. <laughs> yeah, you. That's look, an original gun. Oh my god! You look at the uh, engraving on it, presented to R O Yard from Lieutenant E D G Moss, June 9th, nineteen twelve. Carved yeah. into the, uh, carved into the pistol. Sorry, boys. Hate to piss on your parade, but that's the way she goes. Timothy. Your second choice. All right. So I, I was going to go with that uh, that three gun, but that's got the Colt Python, a commemorative set he was talking about. Jeff got it. So I will go with the FP Divisum Paris dueling set circa 1850. <laughs> I had those dueling pistols there. Those look like they're cool. And you might, you know, you might, it might come back. You know, everything, everything kind of rotates around in uh in popularity, so who knows? If the dueling comes back, you'd have a an 1850 Paris-made dueling pistol. I think those are the coolest shit. Yeah. Will, your second choice? Yeah, my second choice, I think, it was the 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 uh, 38. So now I'm going to go with the Browning BAR M71 in 7mm. Yeah, yeah, I looked at that one too. Yeah. With a... Uh, and the, the beauty of this thing is uh, the Leopold 27 Very X-2 scope. That scope is probably worth $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 7 millimeter Magnum bar. That's awesome. Yeah. How far out can you hit something with that thing? <laughs> oh, shit. Jeffrey, your, sec- think- your second choice? I thought for sure Will was going to choose this one, but he didn't. The 1871 Colt. That's a 45 peacemaker. And uh, I didn't see that. I like to shoot a crackhead trying to come to my house and say, Mr. Crackhead, you've been shot by the by the Colt Peacemaker 1871 Army. By a you know, piece of history. I hope you feel honored. <laughs> but uh, and you know something connected to that? Did you guys see this whole this bullshit about Alec Baldwin shooting this lady by accident? He was shot. It looked like a a huge Colt Peacemaker, where it, it was, was a 45 long Colt. I don't know if they had long Colts back then. But, Timmy, did you see what I'm talking about? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Is from, eight, is from uh, 1873. Yeah, right. so, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it was a long Colt. It could have been that old Navy version, too, with that, you know, used to break it down with that ramen rod. The, yeah, the Jesse, like, like, like Jesse Walls, like outlaw Jesse like Wills. Peacemaker, though, you know, it did look like a big peacemaker. Yeah, it went. In fact, it was a foreign copy of a peacemaker. It's exactly what they said, but that, that yeah. round went through her like 
like fucking butter, man, and then then into the other dude's shoulder, you know. So. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's inexcusable. How, I, I mean, honestly, what in the fuck? I mean, yeah, he's it's just stupid. But the second thing yeah. I want is his helmet, and there's a story behind this. I'm really? e- uh, I'm eating breakfast. His the helmet he used to wear when he wore one on mail call, right? Do you remember the first time you saw mail call? You're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, like, yeah. Right. We'll be right back. Stay in your seat, fat body. Right. And you, it's like, yeah. All he's doing is being a fucking gunny on TV and it's making a shit ton of money. Anyway, um, uh, I'm in Ramadi in 2004 and I'm in the chow hall at, I don't know what time. And I'm eating breakfast by myself and the TV's on. And I'm like, you know, I got my face down by the, the plastic bowl and I'm, I don't know what I'm fucking eating. Um, and I'm watching Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer interview Arlie Ermey in, I think Times Square. And they're, they're, they're gonna, they're talking about toys for tots. And it just so happens that the previous evening, Yasser Arafat died. So they're talking about Toys for Tots, and then Matt Lauer looks at Arlie Ermey, and he says, he says, Gunny, you know, um, Yasser Arafat passed away <clears throat> last night. Uh, any thoughts on that? I dance on the grave of that terrorist, right? <laughs> and Matt Lauer almost shits his pants, and he tries to, like, jump in and and the gunny wasn't having that that man was the devil i dance on his grave i celebrate the death of a terrorist (laughs) and i spit my cereal back into the bowl it was so funny it was one of the it was a great moment on the today show it was fucking hilarious he was a good actor too though i mean remember in mississippi burning he played the mayor he did a great job, you know. Not a marine he, part or anything like that, but he could act. And he I was met in the a guy couple twice. of. He, 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 he did a couple a of things on uh, on um, House, you know, about the doctor. He was House's dad. House's dad was a professional marine, marine colonel. <laughs> but yeah, he was good, no he doubt about to, it. He came to Weapons Train Battalion one time, and it was really interesting because. Uh, we were doing some shooting with three gun and stuff like that. And so when he was doing that with us, he was Arlie Army. But then when we had, you know, we had the, all the Marines there, got a chance to meet him. He goes back into character, but he does it without being fake. I mean, yeah, he was just yeah. really good at it. And then he was a, uh, he used to uh, be a spokesman for Glock. So if you go to the mm-hmm. SHOT Show out in Vegas, mm-hmm. he'd be in the big Glock booth. And he'd been at Weapons Train Battalion like three or four months before that. And uh, so we got in line to get a coin from him and all that. And now uh, we got up in line, and he recognizes us. Yeah. And again, he shifts character back to being his normal self and yeah. what a great time he had and blah, blah, blah. And then he's got to go back into character as people are continuing to come through the line. I, I just, I, I enjoyed meeting the guy. You're right. You remember, remember he went down to Camp Pelton, down to Mainside at the theater. And he's out there and he sees Quinn and Garrett and they're identical twins, my stepsons. And he goes, hey, nice to meet you guys and everything. Comes back two years later and they're down there again. He goes, which one are you, Quinn or Garrett? 
unbelievable. Get out. No, yeah. I mean, there's not that many identical twins around, I guess, you know, but uh, he sees a shitload of people. But yeah, he who, how the hell does he remember that? Yeah. No, I met him at Shot Show once, and he was most gracious because he's sitting there with this a line that never ends coming up to meet him. And he was, you know, I said I was a former Marine. He was a very gracious, you know, a decent fella. Yeah. He really was. I got his coin around here somewhere. In fact, mm-hmm. hold on. I don't even know where it is. His best line, uh, his best line is, uh, his best line in the Full Metal Jacket to me was this little thing about Lee Harvey Oswald and Charles Whitman. Because that reminds <laughs> me of boot camp. Because every once in a while, drill instructors, he was just like my drill instructors, you know? Every once in a while, though, they'd let you laugh and shit, you know? All right? Sir, he shot Kennedy from the book suppository building. Right. And you know who Charles Whitman was? Sir, you shot Kennedy from the, yeah. That's right, and he and he goes through it. And that's cool, man. Sometimes, especially on the rifle range. You know what are, it says on the top? Why do you going? shoot good? You know. Yeah. It says this one is mine. <laughs> <laughs> on the top of his coin. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. got the Glock on the back. No, let me just tell you. You talk about somebody who uh, was a great advertisement for a lot of people. That was their introduction to the Marine Corps. And the funny shit that he would say, right? And the letters he would read. And then, you know, but again, just the stupid stuff, right? When he'd be going to break, right? And call everybody fat bodies and stuff. I mean, that stuff was hilarious, man. It was absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Oh, are, you, and are you allowed to have jelly donuts, buddy, Pop? <laughs> no, sir. And why not? Because I'm heavy, sir. Because you're a disgusting fat body. <laughs> hey, That's the... we need diversity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, though. You you listen to that now. I mean, and that stuff is is just the funniest shit in the world. You know, one of the things they do is um one of the cuts and and everybody has this experience right where you're laying in bed at ocs or or recruit training and they've snuck back in yeah and then somebody then we start we all start talking right and then (laughs) and then they say who the fuck said that and everybody just goes <laughs> and everybody, you like everybody shits their pants. Like, oh my god, it's yeah. gonna start up again. Like, who? And he does that. Get out of your racks. Right? Is yeah. that? And then what is it? Matthew Modine starts doing his John Wayne impersonation. Is yeah, that man. you, Joker? Right? Or says something like that? Yeah, is that you, Joe? <laughs> is this me? Yeah. Who the fuck said that? You, you <laughs> yeah, can just exactly. feel everybody go. <laughs> Oh no, please. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, please God let this pass over me. That's and and he wasn't even supposed to do that part. He was supposed no, to he was coach supposed the to be actor. A technical advisor, but the actors yeah. suck compared Private yeah. Snowball, front and center. Sir, yes, sir. You're fired, Private Snowball. <laughs> Private Joker is hired. Private Joker is silly and ignorant, but he's got guts, and guts is enough. Right. <laughs> oh my god, the shit that he said was so funny. The um yeah, you know, that story is amazing about how he yeah. gets that part. And then, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he's supposed to be the advisor. And well, he, he was keeps... in this movie called The Boys in Company C in right. like the late 70s. And he was a drill instructor. He was perfect. You know, it was kind of a crappy movie. As a matter of fact, 
Full Metal Jacket was mostly a crappy movie, except for his part. In it, right. You know what I mean? Right. The Hoist City part was an insult to everybody. Who was yeah, ever it was. That was that. Yeah. Hey, it was that was embarrassing. Yeah. The female sniper to boot. That was ten years ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean the whole. Yeah, it was so like, like, what yeah, happened to the movie? Where'd the movie go? Like, what yeah. the hell happened? They're doing like a patrol in the jungle, only thing it's in a city. <laughs> yeah, it's like and then we go into like Kansas with with Dorothy and Toto. You know, it's like yeah, it, was, right. it was like Bizarro Land, and you're like, whatever. And they, yeah. they did it in England with the fake palm trees and the fucking uh, you know. Well, bullshit. you know the Brits, they can do shit like that. All right, what are you mm-hmm. what are, what are you reading? We're gonna. This might be the longest. Mensa event in the history of the world. What, uh, Timmy, what are you reading? I don't even know what I'm reading. As a, what? Well, no, I, oh, wait a second. You're I got to tell Biden? you. Hold on, hold on. I got to tell you what I was reading. I read, I read a, I read are a novel. Brandon? No, no. Hold on. Let me find this stupid thing. Where the hell is it? Oh, it's not there. I read a novel that was about World War II, but it's a, it's a fictional novel. About uh, they call the last lieutenant, the the last lieutenant, and it was just an interesting article about guys that that escaped from Corregidor and eventually made it to Australia after rescuing a damsel and slaying a uh, uh, some Kim, some of those old Japanese. What do they call those Kempatai? The Kempatai yeah, guys. Hey, yeah, Timmy, yeah. Was, was it about Jack Hawkins? Was he in it? No, 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 no. This is a it's it's about a Navy lieutenant, and I figure it's I think it's the one in a series of these things. It's a Kindle Unlimited book, so I got it for free. But it was really, really interesting. It was it was interesting in that it's a historical novel that uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad story that when when all things were said, and not everybody who thought we're going to make it made it till the end. It was kind of harsh, but the the lieutenant did a good job back when the Navy had a competent junior officers. As it were, they're still there. Come on, let's not be too yeah, hard. I'm sure they are. And this, right. and this is a, this is a great story. But it was the last lieutenant, and I just read it because I was getting depressed reading the Victor Davis Hanson book. I haven't even finished it. I'm just, I just get all irritated. Yeah, BK, be careful with that. Yeah, um, I have to. Jeffrey, what are you reading? I'm reading that Timmy book that about Antietam. It's very good. Yeah. And uh, I just got through the part about the whole politics behind the thing, and. Um, the, the the Confederacy's idea that maybe they get help from England and stuff, and then uh, all of it goes to glimmering, of course, because of the slavery thing. You know, it's never really a good option, but uh, it's very good. It's really detailed, like Timmy said. And uh, so I imagine when we get to the actual fighting part in the uh, in the in the cornfield, there'll be a lot more detail that, like he said, we just fucking didn't even know or even broach with the lieutenants. Yeah, it's a it's a hell of a lot of detail, brother. It's fun. Yeah. Get your maps out. <laughs> no shit, I mean, you got to have the maps out to look at. And, Let and me tell you, man. That's the, I love reading books like that. When I, you know, when I started buying maps, and you know, I'd go to used bookstores and buy maps with books. Dude, the whole thing changed. I mean, can you imagine if you would have had yeah. go- Google Earth as you read as a kid? Yeah, but yeah. shit, man. I'd be Harry Potter. But, right now. but with you can get you can get maps of Antietam from all three perspectives at at from at fifteen minute intervals. So it's a cornfield from zero seven fifteen to zero eight hundred, and it shows where everybody is. And you can track that, and that's just off the the internet. And that's exactly I what remember, I was doing. I remember Timmy's dad going to visit and saying, "This is the most complex complex micro train I've ever seen." Where? Yeah. Or in Antietam? Antietam. Yeah. 
I think he was talking not. He might be talking my, about thought, Sunken Road. I but. thought he was. I it, I thought he was talking the, about the wilderness, bro. Antietam was the most no. complex. Come on. That's what he said at Antietam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he I might have been talking out his ass. Who knows? <laughs> he could well, be. He called me fraud, man. So he had that right. That doesn't that mean he got everything, funny, man. Well, no, I, I mean, he had that wrong, too. You're right, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will, Will, what are you reading? I'm reading a book called Travels with George by Nathaniel Philbrick. Oh, man. So Philbrick wrote uh, In the Heart of the Sea. He made it oh, a movie. Yeah. And That's he's a good written, one. Uh, wrote a book about uh, Little Bighorn. He wrote three books about the Revolution. Um one was Bunker Hill, one was about Benedict Arnold, and one was about Yorktown. So this book, he traces three trips that George Washington took after he became the president. One was through New England, uh, you know, northern. One was to Long Island uh, and also to Rhode Island after they ratified the Constitution. And one was through the southern states. And uh, and so part of the book is the narrative of Washington and what he's doing. And part of it is this guy and his wife traveling around with their dog. Um, and it's really interesting in that Washington, being the first, had to figure out how to do everything. And the idea that the president would leave the seat of uh, the, you know, leave the Capitol, they weren't sure if they should even do that. So Washington said he's got to do it. And what he was trying to do was go out there, get a sense of the American people, but also go out there and project what he was attempting to do with the country just by his own presence. And uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, I like to think I know a lot about Washington, the revolution, that period of the country, but I never really read anything about these particular journeys in any detail. I knew he had been on. Um, but when he gets to these different towns and what he does and, and the speeches he makes, and uh, it's just a really good book. And this guy is just a phenomenal writer. Uh, so Nathaniel Philbrick, Travels with George. It's brand new. I think it's been out just a couple of months. All right. I re I'm reading nothing, just, just for the record. <laughs> we knew that. Right. Um, I but I, I'll tell you what, I think we have to give a shout out to the new lieutenant governor of Virginia. Right. Oh, yeah. former Marine. Yeah. Yeah. Marine veteran. Went, went some shears. Emigrated from Jamaica at the age of six. She served in the Marines where she was an electrician and a diesel mechanic. 1983 wow. to 1986. So we're battle buddies. So, uh, <laughs> Congratulations to her on uh, becoming the lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia. So anyway. Um, and, you know, the great thing she said, can't say I'm a victim. Yes, <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, no, a great picture of her posing, great picture of her posing with a rifle lives out in Winchester. That's a nice town, man. Yeah. And, it's, and then fired up that USA, USA chat, right? And you're just, everybody's watching yeah. going, what in the hell? Like, this is politics? Like, who knew? Um, mm -hmm. No, it was very cool to watch. So anyway. All right, boys, thank you very much for the extended version of this to, tonight. And uh, 
This was a marathon. It was good. All, all the best of luck to you all in your personal lives, Jeffrey, in your <laughs> in your speech making, right? When in doubt, be be brief, right? Yeah, you're right, man. Yeah. Hey, good night, guys. I'll see you all next week. All right. Good night, man. That'll do it on this fine Thursday. My thanks to the Mensa brothers for covering the entire planet and all the different news stories we talked about. So uh, have a great Thursday. If you have a chance to help somebody out, don't be afraid to do that. If I can help you, you know how to get in touch with me. Everything on the website comes straight to me. So, Have a great Thursday. Unless something earth-shaking happens, I'll see you on Monday. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, and I'm out.